All right, everyone, welcome back. Ooh, I'm sorry, I just caught Father Kevin mid-drink. <laughs> water, folks. Water. Water. This is water. Just to clarify. water. For now, I could change it into something else. No, just kidding, I'm not Jesus. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, don't go that far. Okay, well, we'll try this out. Uh, how much faith do you have in me right now and what I'm about ready to share with you? Depends on what you're getting ready to share with me. Okay. I'm just going to say it. Okay. All right. How do you reach out to a fish that you haven't seen in a while? Uh, throw them a line? Oh, that was, that was, yeah. yeah. Just drop them a line. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that was good. You, was you knew it? that one? Well, you knew, <laughs> yeah, at least you knew that one. Okay. Okay. All right. Yes. Ready? If you say so. Okay. How does a cucumber become a pickle? Don't know. It goes through a jarring experience. That one is decent. Okay. I'll give it to you. Okay. That one actually took creativity. On a scale of one to ten, what would you rate it? Probably something like a six and a half. Okay, that's good. Uh, Which for you is pretty good <laughs> for these jokes. <laughs> what? I mean, just being honest. <laughs> Steven rated that a zero, but whatever. <laughs> he can stay over there. That's right. So, uh, ready for another one? Not really, but go ahead. <laughs> How was Rome split in two? How was Rome split in two? You got me. With a pair of Caesars. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Are you up for one more or are you done? I'm up for a good one. Okay. Okay. I This is more of just like kind of a statement. That's funny. I asked a Frenchman if he played video games. He said, we. Oui. Well, friends, if you're looking to add more penances to your Lenten journey, we hope that this was helping you out, that it's sanctifying you, part of your almsgiving, giving your ear to these jokes. We apologize for uh, any any strong emotions this may be stirring up in you. But uh, I do not apologize for the dad jokes. Well, you know, good for you, sticking to your guns. Not saying that. that I always have the best ones, but I mean, you know. Gotta try, right? Right, and it's been a while since we've shared one, so. Yeah. The cucumber one was probably my favorite out of all those. That one was decent. Sure. So just, sure. Just keep trying. What's been your all-time favorite joke? All-time favorite joke? Oh, man. I I don't know about all-time favorite. I know the very first joke I ever learned as a kid, I had one of those, like, hundred jokes, you know, joke book. Sure. The first one I ever learned was, why did the golfer wear two pairs of pants? Mm. In case he got a hole in one. <laughs> right? So I love that joke as a kid. And then uh, one that I've heard recently, uh, we were on a, the trip to the Holy Land with a few priests, and so there was a number of good dad jokes on that trip, as you can imagine. You would have fit right in. You would have loved it. But Oh, knowing who went, I know, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But probably one of the best ones that I heard on there was, so this married couple dies in this tragic car accident, and so they both make it to the pearly gates, and there's this long line before they can get to St. Peter. And so the wife sees the long line. She's like, ah, I'm actually going to go use the restroom while we're waiting. And so man's like, all right, well, I'll save your spot. And he makes his way up. Finally, he gets to the pearly gates. And St. Peter said, you know, you lived a, a really good life on earth, but you just got to do one more thing before you can enter into heaven. You got to spell the word love. And the man goes, that's it? That's, that's pretty simple. Okay. Uh, L-O-V-E, love. 
St. Peter says, correct, welcome into eternal life. He goes, woohoo, this is awesome. St. Peter goes, oh, by the way, I got to go use the restroom real quick, so can you take over for me? I'll be back in a few minutes. Sure thing, Pete. So St. Peter leaves, his wife comes back, and he goes, sweetie, it worked out. There's just one final test that we have to do. St. Peter said that uh, we live some good lives on earth. There's just one thing we have to do before we enter into eternal life and we're with each other for all eternity. The lady goes, what's that, sweetie? And he goes, you just have to spell the word Czechoslovakia. All right, folks, text your votes. <laughs> Emma or Father Kevin. Or perhaps neither. And we'll yeah. take it as a sign to never Maybe. do this again. Yeah, it might be. It might be good. <laughs> I can't get over the fact that you just said, all right, Pete. <laughs> Pete, I mean, you know. <laughs> that was my favorite part of that. All right, Pete. Yeah. When we get to it. heaven, all of the formal titles will go away, and That's it's just going to be Pete, you know. I have a hair in my mouth. <laughs> I can't help you with that. <laughs> I know. Anyway. So about, uh, speaking of deadly sins, so we're going to be talking about deadly sins in this episode because it's Lent and we're sinners we're going to talk about deadly sins. So these are basically, if you're, if you're not really familiar with the concept of what the deadly sins are, it's just a way for us to look at these different patterns of sins that going all the way back to the Desert Fathers in the early church and even before that and what some of the Jewish spiritual you know, kind of masters would be able to identify as uh, some of the main patterns of sins that we tend to struggle with. We want to be able to share a little bit about that this evening because it's Lent. We're focused on these themes of sin, and this time is a, a time of purification for us. It's a time for us to be able to notice those sins, ask the Lord to help us root them out, or perhaps to crowd out those sins mm-hmm. with God's grace and his mercy and by seeking to grow in the opposing virtues. So, yeah, Emma, anything you want to say before we start to dive into the the topic here? Yeah, so before we really kind of focus on the deadly sins, we want to zoom out and look at sin in general, right? And so what does the church even teach what is, you know, what is sin? And the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it's just a beautiful, beautiful resource. And I know when we had Bishop Gruss on, he couldn't, you know, he spoke very highly of it. He, He said that it was right up there close with the sacred scriptures, and and I would agree. And so just wanted to pull a couple of things from the catechism. And in paragraph 1849, it says that sin is an offense. It is a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. It wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. And so sin at its core, it's an offense against God an offense against one another because we are upon our baptism claimed for God, right? We are creatures born anew. And so when we sin against God, uh, we are also sinning against one another and vice versa. When we sin against one another and we wrong one another, we are also sinning against God. Which some people might not be able to recognize because they think, well, I didn't hurt anyone with this sin. This was you know, how mm-hmm. this doesn't seem to impact anyone, but all of our sins have some impact, even if we're not able to see it. It, it wounds the body of Christ, right? It wounds our relationship with uh, the church of whom we're all uh, united in, you know? Right. And I, I like the image of it's kind of a ripple effect, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. it, when we sin, it's, you know, a stone's thrown into the water, but then the ripples go out mm-hmm. for a long time. And you just imagine, you know, if somebody else was in the water or whatever, they would feel the effect of that ripple. And so, and you even think of your body too, you know, if one part of your body's hurting, sure. you know, if you've got a headache, 
do you really, does the rest of your body really want to do anything? For sure. No, you know, or a backache or whatever. So the same thing when it comes to us and when we sin, it hurts the rest of the body of Christ and Mm -hmm. thus hurts God. So uh, again, Catechism 1849, that's where that comes from. And so then when we talk about deadly sins, every single sin that we commit comes from one of these seven deadly sins. They may have different terms, you know, we may call them different things, but when you go back to the root of it, it is one of these seven deadly sins. And so when we look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church in 1853, it says the root of sin is in the heart of man. So if you think about that, what comes out of our hearts and what is in our hearts is really what causes sin. And even, you know, Jesus says that, that it's not what's outside of a person that defiles it, but it's really, it's what's within that defiles a person and what comes out of them within the person. And that's why St. James talks so much about taming the tongue, right? Because that's from within. And so the root of sin is in the hearts of man. And then also St. John Paul II, in his letter uh, on the Holy Spirit in paragraph 33, he says, at the root of human sin is the lie, which is a radical rejection of the truth contained in the word of the Father. And so at the core of every sin, especially the deadly sins, there is a lie that we believe we are rejected by the Father or we're not worthy of his love. Dr. Bob Schutz talks a lot about this, and we've made reference to him before, but especially in his book, Be Healed, he really talks about this, this idea of rejection, that when we reject others or when we reject God is when we start seeing a manifestation of certain sins, mainly the seven deadly sins. And so the goal is we get to the root and what has caused that to then overturn it. So then we have the seven deadly sins and then we have the virtues that go with them. And so we'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, just a, a kind of a zoom out a little bit, just what is sin? Where does it come from? It comes from Obviously, Satan is what tempts us, but it's the hardened places in our hearts Mm -hmm. that cause those sins to then be manifested. Because temptation is not a sin, right? right? Right. Satan tempts us, but it's when we act on that temptation, Mm -hmm. which then comes from within. So uh, such is something, you know, as we we look out and not even reminded in St. Luke's gospel where only a good tree bears good fruit, Mm -hmm. right? Bad tree bears bad fruit. So... What kind of tree are we? How do we get to be an even better tree to bear even better fruit? So just a kind of a scoped out look at at sin before we kind of dive into the deadly sins. And something I might add to that, too, is just coming to mind right now. I uh, just returned from the Holy Land and I I got to go. I was able to say mass and to pray at the site where Peter denied Jesus three Mm. times. The night of the Last Supper when Jesus is imprisoned before enduring his passion and the account that you read there talks about how after Peter denies Jesus three times he went out and wept bitterly I remember being you know praying on that phrase while I was there and just thinking why would Peter weep bitterly in that moment is it because he realized he broke a rule or because Mm -hmm. he severed a relationship right Mm -hmm. Not to say that, you know, rules don't matter or, or the, the church's, you know, moral teachings or anything. None of that matters. It's just about relationship. But it, it is to say that, yeah, the heart of sin involves a, a rupturing of a relationship. And so, too, then, 
with the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of reconciliation, one of the main effects of that sacrament is to bring restoration to a relationship with God or with a church that's been wounded by sin. So I think I like to propose that image to people who think that sin is just about, I broke a rule, and why is the church so focused on the rules? And it's mm. like, well, part of it is because the rules help facilitate a relationship. Right, right? or the image that's like, a giant backyard but maybe there's a forest or there's maybe it's a cliff on the other side of the woods and the parents put up a fence right mm. so the kids can roam freely but maybe they might get upset well why is there a fence like we don't have as much room or whatever but they sure. put up the fence for their protection where if you look in the terms of god like that fence is like the rules sure. you know natural and law, he's all that. natural law and such mm-hmm. that god has put into place so that he protects us sure from falling into even more sin, right? Mm-hmm. So just another image of you know being able to look at that too. So Yeah, for sure. Anyways, what are the seven deadly sins? Sure. So the seven deadly sins, and we're going to go into, we're each going to choose one of these and kind of mm-hmm. go into detail on it, but just so you're aware of what these are. The pairings would be pride. The opposing virtue of that would be humility. You have envy and gratitude. You have avarice or greed, and the opposing virtue would be generosity. You have gluttony and temperance. You have lust and chastity. You have wrath or sinful anger and mercy. And then you have sloth or sloth, depending on who you ask, and diligence (laughs) as an opposing virtue. I just want to point out really quick, because you may be thinking, okay, deadly sins, like if you struggle with one of these, like it's just going to kill you. You're not going to be able to overcome it. I think the term deadly sins can scare people at some point. And I think just talking about sin in general can be a hard pill to swallow because we don't like to talk about, wow, we messed up. Mm -hmm. But every single one of us struggles with some deadly sin. Every single person, priests, religious lady, like every single one of us, we struggle with at least one Sometimes two of the the seven that deadly sins, and, and sometimes in seasons. Sometimes in seasons, for a while, right? It's like this one, and then maybe a few months or years pass, and now this tends to be the predominant struggle. Right, exactly, yeah. and I mean that's with all spiritual life, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, don't you know? Don't freak out. You know, as we're talking about this, if it is ringing true for you, go to confession. That's where we we seek the Lord's mercy, and actually, mercy. The Lord's mercy is the anecdote for a lot of, actually all of the sins, but we have to be willing to seek it and then allow it to transform whatever it is that we're bringing to the Lord. It's one thing to just go to the Lord in confession, but it's another to let that mercy and that grace transform you. But that's a topic for a different day. So, Father. Yes, Emma. What sin would you like to talk about? I don't know what it's like to struggle with any of these sins at all. So I'm going solely based on theory right now. Um, That's a bit concerning. <laughs> kidding, kidding. <laughs> My sin is pride. No, <laughs> no the, the one that I wanted to talk about uh, for this episode is actually anger, also known as wrath. I think one of the first things I would say about anger is that it's helpful to differentiate between anger that is sinful versus anger that is not sinful, because mm-hmm. I think... Anger gets a bad rep. I think it has kind of this connotation that it's always and everywhere bad. And I think that that's because of what we've seen angry or or wrathful people do with their anger. But actually in scripture, uh, this is in Ephesians 4, St. Paul actually writes, Be angry, 
but do not sin. Mm. It's like, that's interesting. Be angry, but do not sin. It implies that there's a way to be angry that's not sinful. And what we believe in our tradition is that all of the emotions, including anger, is actually a gift from God. Mm. So that might startle us at first. We might not think that anger is a gift. Uh, But if you think about, for instance, Jesus, there's a number of instances in which he shows anger in the Gospels. You can think of the cleansing of the temple. You can think of some of the different ways in which he gets into these sort of fierce debates with uh, the Pharisees. Because at the core of anger, when we're in the face of an injustice, anger is the proper response in the presence of that injustice that motivates us to bring about reform. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So anger is is linked to justice. So this is helpful because when if someone were to come to me in confession and say, well, I I got angry, I might help to clarify. I say, well, what do you mean you got angry? Like, tell me about that. And they might say, well, I was uh, watching the news and I saw this horrible abuse that happened and I just got so angry at the person or the situation. And in that case, I mean, that in itself doesn't sound sinful to me, that's, that's the proper response to, to an injustice, to an abuse that needs to be reformed or corrected. And so in that particular case, the feeling, the emotion of anger um, is not a, a bad thing. It's not sinful. Would you say I, another term you could use would be like righteous anger? Sure. So, that's, so if, you may, yeah. if you've heard that term before, like that's, you know, that's what he would be referring to is like this yeah. righteous anger in the face of wanting something to be good when it's not. Exactly. So, so that's that's kind of like the good side of anger. The opposite side of that coin, the other face that anger can have is when we experience the emotion of anger and then we choose to use it to destroy mm. rather than reform. And so this can happen when we get angry either at the wrong things or when we get like disproportionately angry. Like maybe this thing should cause me to be maybe a little bit frustrated, but then I just like really lash out and it's just not proportionate to this thing that's making me angry, that's when we can start to move into the realm of sinful anger. When I take this emotion and I use it in a way that ends up being destructive rather than bringing about reform. So those are a couple of things that I think from a spiritual side we could say about anger. I've also learned a few things from the study of psychology and just helpful insights that I have heard when I've gone to confession to mention certain sins that have to do with anger, you know, like, like lashing out uh, against people with, with my words. One of the things that I've found helpful is that a lot of times anger is what in psychology they might call a secondary emotion. Mm-hmm. It can sometimes end up being this sort of uh, coping mechanism. So oftentimes what can happen is that we first feel something else like fear or powerlessness or some sort of deeper insecurity, and then we choose to take it out with anger because that gives us maybe a little bit of a sense of control over the situation we would otherwise feel powerless against. And so it, it's helpful for us if, if we seem to struggle with anger, it might be helpful to look at, well, is there some sort of emotion I tend to first feel like powerlessness or fear that I then take out in anger. That could just be helpful for self-knowledge. And I would like to add, too, a lot of those, you know, fears or feeling like you're not in control or things like that, anxiety, that may lead to then anger, and really any of the other sins, come from some sort of wound in our life, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, again, that rejection. We feel a rejection of some sort that has caused a wound, 
And so if you experience things like that, it would be good to like, okay, well, what caused these feelings, right? If you struggle with anger or if you find you're confessing anger a lot, maybe, well, okay, what is really the underlying feeling that triggers that? And then what was the actual cause of that? Mm -hmm. That can help from a psychological standpoint too, even rooting out some of this too and healing and seeking that healing and restoration. Yeah. And I think one note I would add to that as a former psychology major, not that that gives me very much credentials (laughs) is this idea of like, we also want to make sure that we're not over psychologizing our Mm -hmm. sin. That can sometimes be a temptation in the church because what we're not saying on this episode is that if you simply figure out what your wounds are and get that fixed, then you won't sin anymore or you won't struggle with sin anymore, right? Psychology can add some helpful insights. It can, it can help in the healing process, but there's also a, a spiritual component to right. it as well that we need God's grace for and sometimes in addition to a counselor or a psychological insight. So I just, I just say that as someone who has a love for psychology, and it's just a helpful thing to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. For sure. So that's kind of stuff about anger. Well, what about if anger is our predominant battle, how do we sort of help root that out? Or like I mentioned earlier, how do we sort of crowd it out with an mm-hmm. opposing virtue and God's grace? And I think here I would suggest two things, both from a, a spiritual aspect and then maybe more of a psychological perspective. First, the opposing virtue is mercy or patience, right? That's going to oppose this wrath or this sinful anger that I might have. So if I find myself for instance, uh, having difficulties forgiving someone, and maybe that's, that's kind of the drive of a lot of my anger. First of all, learning about forgiveness, I think, is really key. Realizing that forgiveness is not saying that what this person did was okay or that I'm going to forget about it. It's simply entrusting that person to the Lord's mercy and saying, I'm not going to put that person in my debt. So learning about forgiveness is, is really key if, if that's part of what's going on. I think something that's been helpful for me and it's also been humbling is to realize that I can make other people angry. So Mm. I need to go to confession and like own up to the ways that in my own selfishness, I can end up making other people impatient and angry. Right. I I can't think that it's only those people out there. Like I got to own my own stuff, too. And in receiving God's mercy, that can help me to be more merciful to others. So I know that's been helpful. Divine Mercy Chaplet, praying for Mm. the Lord's mercy on those instances of injustice that could uh, fire us up to a disproportionate amount. The Surrender Novena, we talked earlier about how sometimes what's underlying anger is this sense of powerlessness. The antidote to that is surrender. And so there's a beautiful uh, novena that I might recommend to you if this is a struggle of yours uh, called the Surrender Novena. Um, I know that that's uh, a prayer that Bishop Bruce recommends as well. Mm -hmm. And I would Highly recommend that as well. And then uh, just one final sort of spiritual practice, especially while we're in Lent. Um, A lot of parishes are offering stations of the cross. And the word patience, which is something we want to grow in if we struggle with anger, is actually related to the word passion. Mm -hmm. So as we see Jesus undergoing his passion, particularly as he silently and humbly and patiently bears his cross in the stations of the cross, we might be able to learn some helpful lessons for us in how to endure uh, sufferings or or injustices in the way that the Lord desires us to. Mm -hmm. So those are some spiritual kind of insights that I would add. And then if you're you're looking for maybe more of a a psychological help with this as well, obviously there's different counseling uh, services that are available. Um, There's anger management if this is a really big struggle. But something else that I found helpful, again, going back to uh, the work of Dr. Bob Schutz, he was recently on 
another podcast and he was talking about from his perspective as a counselor things that he talks to people about who struggle with anger and one of the things that he gets people to reflect on if they struggle with anger is to first of all encouraging them to recognize and acknowledge when they're feeling the anger sometimes Mm -hmm. we get angry and we don't even think about it or we're, we're not acknowledging it so first of all be aware but then he said a second part that can be really pivotal to healing is to kind of take a step back and notice how you treat yourself when you realize you're being angry. Mm. Because oftentimes when we see what we've done in our anger, what do we do? We begin to shame ourselves. We begin to condemn ourselves. And that's just perpetuating the cycle, right? Right. It's, It's digging us into an even deeper hole. And I know like from my own experience with when I've had this struggle with sin, a lot of times with my anger, sometimes it's directed outward towards other people. Sometimes it's directed inward at myself when I'm angry at, you know, why haven't I gotten better at this? Or I can, you know, beat myself up, maybe self-condemnation or perfectionism. Sometimes my struggle is that the anger is directed inwards Mm -hmm. and the shame is directed inwards. And so we need to be able to look at ourselves the way that God looks at us, which is with his merciful gaze which which brings healing which which is filled with love we need to be able to do that to ourselves because then from our place of healing and receiving the lord's mercy we're able to bring that into our relationships with others so in my experience with yeah with this deadly sin those have been some things that i have found helpful i don't know if you would add anything or if anything's resonating with you i think i'm just gonna leave it as it is (laughs) (laughs) that was that was beautiful and i think i really just like what you said at the the end there we can't beat ourselves up right. uh, over this the sins. We have to yeah. recognize them, but then we can't beat ourselves up for the fact that we sinned. We have to accept the fact that we will sin. It's right. not if we will, it's when we will. We acknowledge that, but we don't stay there. Go to confession, but you know, how are you treating yourselves? But then also, how are you allowing the Lord's mercy to work in your your heart so yeah those were the things that really what were you gonna say sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no that's okay (laughs) just just because the holy spirit convicts us he Mm -hmm. reveals what's going on for the sake of our growth he tends to do it very gently and lovingly uh, revealing to us ways that we can grow whereas the accuser wants to get in there and and shame us and get us to beat ourselves up that's that's not coming from god so the holy spirit convicts for the sake of growth the accuser comes in and wants us to condemn ourselves and shut ourselves off from depending on God's mercy and grace. So I would just mm-hmm. add that as well as you're becoming aware of maybe some in- interior dynamics surrounding whatever sin that you may be struggling with. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that's anger. That's anger. We got all our anger out. Yay. And now, Emma. But now we're going to talk about take? pride. Oh, I should have done this. I'm an expert on pride. Really? Actually, I'm an expert on humility and I'm pretty proud of it pretty much the most humble guy i know if you ask anybody around here they could uh, verify that sounds like a very prideful statement i guess i never thought of it like that interesting that's okay that's a prayer it's okay every single one of us struggles with pride to some degree or another thank god we're not alone amen right amen come on because that's just that's part of fallen human nature right a lot adam i know right man but (laughs) i i wanted to touch on this because pride honestly is i think it's the gateway to all other sin Mm. i i i really think that when we because we we look at ourselves and we say well look at me look what i can do or look 
what I like what I've accomplished x y and z and even the slightest little thing that could create pride just allows Satan to work and and can cause envy uh, or cause anger if you experience pride or you struggle with the sin of pride how easy is it for you to get angry when somebody else is doing something or be jealous or envious of them and what they have. So I think pride is something that we all struggle with to some degree or another. Could I I ask you a clarifying question? Because I know I've been asked this before and it it helps to get at the definition of pride Mm -hmm. because there is kind of, just like when we were talking about anger, there's a certain good pride, like when a dad is proud of his son. Right. Right. We, we use that word. But what are you getting at? Or more importantly, like what's the church getting at when it talks about the sin of pride? Like what exactly does that consist of? Sure. Yeah. In being proud of someone else and what they've accomplished mm-hmm. using their gifts and talents, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about the deadly sin of pride, we're talking about what the church would consider an excessive love of self or desire to be better mm-hmm. or more important than someone else or just a group of people, right? Mm-hmm. So you're really putting yourself up on a pedestal, yeah. right? In a very unhealthy way, saying, I'm better than all of you, mm-hmm. right? Or I deserve X, Y, and Z because I'm me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a little different than, yeah, a dad being proud of their kid because their kid just hit a home run or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, they did something good, deserve some sort of recognition for that. And, and I might like, I don't know if pushing back is the right word, but I, I just want to like continue to clarify this because I think that this is something that maybe a lot of other people have questions on as mm-hmm. well, because I think we live in a culture where self-love is being really promoted like everything you see is all Mm -hmm. about like self-care and self-love and there's a lot of good to that right like we do want to be able to love ourselves to treat ourselves well we want to be able to acknowledge the good that we've been able to do with the gifts and opportunities that god has given us but i think and correct me if i'm wrong Mm -hmm. or, or provide your perspective but i think it comes down to whether we believe that we were the cause of all of that good or whether we're recognizing our dependency on God's grace. And when I don't acknowledge that God had anything to do with it, and I think I'm the one who's doing this all on my own, that's when I've kind of cut God out of the picture. That's where pride comes into play. Is that? Yes. And and actually, this is where you get into the virtue that opposes or pushes out pride Ah. is humility. Okay. Because you think, we'll touch briefly on humility. Humility is recognizing our own strengths and our own weaknesses, right? It's Mm. really allowing us to see who we are. And at that moment, when we see who we are, we recognize our dependency on God. Yeah. The truth, the reality. The truth, the reality. It's when we forget or turn a blind eye towards our dependency on God that that pride then turns into something that is not of God. Does that make sense? That's helpful. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And I want to point out, Thomas Merton wrote, pride makes us artificial and humility makes us real. I love that. Thomas Merton always has like some really good. He's big on the whole true self, false self idea and putting on masks. Right. Because we talk about humility. As I mentioned, it's not thinking less of ourselves saying oh no we're not good no like god gave us right god gave us certain gifts and talents for the betterment of his body we are called 
to then live within that and to act according to it, right? I mean, St. Catherine of Siena was the one that said, if you lived how God created you to be, you would set the world on fire. Right, right. That's recognizing in humility, one, your dependence on God, but recognizing the strengths and the weaknesses that he gave you. I just, I think that, that when we start to recognize that we become more human and we become more human, we are less tempted to be prideful and to turn our face away from God. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And gratitude, so, I think as well. Yes. That goes along. I, I think it's in second Corinthians, first Corinthians, second Corinthians, St. Paul says, uh, what do you have that you have not first received? If then you have received it, why are you boasting as if it were your own? And that's just another way of getting at the the humility, acknowledging the reality that I did not bring myself into existence. Like from the moment of my conception, right. I was dependent on another. And we can, at least, you know, speaking from my own experience and with, with struggles with pride, like I can think that I did all of this on my own. We just get loaded with all of these illusions that would lead us to think that we did all of this on our own. And that's just, it's just not the case. Right. It's not the case, but we all fall into that temptation Mm -hmm. and that struggle in Mm -hmm. different areas. Sometimes it's, you know, in big ways or more more public ways. Others, it could be, I mean, it could even be an internal struggle where people may not even recognize, others may not recognize that you struggle with it, but we need to recognize that it's happening again, we recognize, okay, allowing the Lord, Lord, how are you working in this, right? How are you showing me maybe my strengths and my weaknesses? And how are you showing me to call on others to help in those areas of like of weakness, especially because they may have a strength. Sure. And so that helps to root out and push away pride and allow for other virtues to grow specifically Mm -hmm. humility in in being able to recognize we can't do it on our own we need god we have a dependency on god but we also need each other too you know so that's just you know pride and it's very very powerful like i said pride is something that can just open the door for satan to work you know Mm -hmm. and, and really can tear down families it can tear down uh workplaces things like that if you have somebody that's working in that and and not recognizing, oh, wow, like I need to be poor in spirit and really recognize a dependency on God. So nobody is immune from it. I I really don't believe that anyone is really immune from being no way, like completely without pride, you know? So some ways in, in which we can root this out or to crowd it out Uh, You know, we mentioned humility, obviously, that's the opposing virtue. But how do we grow in humility and recognizing this couple of things? Sacred scripture, reading sacred scripture, the more that we read sacred scripture, because it is the word of God, we come to know who God is and we recognize our need for him, especially when you read the Old Testament. You know, the Israelites getting, it's like a roller coaster. They get close to God and then they fall away. They get close to God and they fall away. But throughout it all, you begin to see they recognize they need God. They have a dependency and a need for him to lead the way. Mm-hmm. Even the wanderings in the deserts, like God was leading them to where they were supposed to be going. So there's, even they recognized a, a dependency and a need for God. And then obviously Jesus enters the picture and that radically changes things as well. So Sacred scripture, spending also more time in prayer. When you spend more time in prayer, that allows the the spirit to work in you as well. And so frequent your time of prayer or maybe increase your time of prayer. Mm -hmm. Also things like the sacraments. Go to confession more often. Go to mass more often so that you can receive our Lord in the Eucharist because 
he in the Eucharist, Jesus has the, uh, just an immense power that we could never imagine to transform our hearts. And so that's something. So confession, for sure, it's a healing sacrament. It heals just our woundedness, our brokenness with God. And so we seek that, right? But then, like I said, also the Eucharist. But then, and then Father, you mentioned this already, but gratitude, mm. right? Just being thankful. When we're thankful, we forget about the things that we might be angry about or the things that may cause us to be prideful mm-hmm. or thankful in the small things. When we're thankful in the small things, we are allowing the Lord to really just make us appreciative of for who we are and who others are and to be together in community. And so, and then also, I mean, we ask for the intercession of the saints. Come on. Right? Like, yeah. I don't know how much more I could say on that other than we just ask the intercession of the saints. For sure. You know, I mean, they struggled with these same things that we struggle with. You know, we mm-hmm. could sit here and say, well, oh, woe is me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I guarantee you there's a saint Alone. that knows. Like, yeah, there's a saint that knows what you're going through. And honestly, sure. Christ himself knows what you're going through, right? He was tempted, yep. Exactly. So we turn to them for just influence and a reminder, but also for their prayers, for them to intercede for us. So mm-hmm. we cling to the beauty of the church, and that can help root out pride right Mm -hmm. because satan was prideful and he is prideful and so we we want to counteract that by turning to the church Mm -hmm. you know and turning to to christ so that would be like those are just some practical ways that you could help to crowd out pride so that would be yeah like i said spiritual standpoints frequenting the sacraments scripture, prayer, things like that. And then also too, recognizing yourself, like doing a self inventory, this would be kind of more of a, I guess like a psychological kind of standpoint, doing a self inventory and and really just looking at yourself for who you are. What are the areas that you struggle with? What are the areas that maybe would cause you to be angry or gluttonous or prideful or envious? You know, really being honest with yourself of who you are. Because when we're honest with ourselves of who we are, we recognize our great need for God. And so to just do that self-check, right, that, self, that self-assessment, that self Lord, how did you create me? And you created me beautiful and good. And where are my shortcomings? Where are my faults? And when we do that, uh, we're less likely to, to fall into this sense of pride, right? Mm-hmm. So... I think just just being very honest with ourselves and not hiding who we are even from ourselves, you know. So those are some ways in which you can crowd out this this very deadly and poisonous sin. So. Yeah, I think that's that's really helpful. I I really feel good about this this conversation and just really feel like the Holy Spirit was at work. And as we kind of come up for air, we we went deep with that, but I think it was really good and I think really helpful. And then just to come up to air to again get back to what you were saying at the beginning that a lot of this. I think maybe you could say all of it, or at least most of it, is rooted in relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see the bad news in the way in which we sever our relationship with others and with God through these sins. But the good news is that Jesus came to save us of those sins and that the healing that he brings in prayer and in the sacraments restore our souls, the integrity of our souls, our relationship with God and with one another. So that's that's the good news. If we kind of dove into the bad news there of the reality of the sins we struggle with, we always want to make sure that we also mm-hmm. close it with the good news of uh, the mercy and the healing that God brings in those areas. Right, absolutely. So. And that's, uh, you know, and something else just put to to point out, like the importance of accountability and how when we have people 
like a close group of friends or even just one person to hold us accountable, not only with like a Lenten fast or things like that, but also how are you doing with with pride, right, you know, exactly. to just ask it to you how it is exactly. and to be very straightforward. Yeah. That's very, very important and very fruitful in helping yeah. to increase virtue in your life. So, amen. Amen. All right. Beautiful. Do you want to go one joys? Let's do it. So I guess a joy for me this past week when I came back from the Holy Land trip, I went to the elementary school that I help out at and it was just so cool seeing how excited the kids were to see oh, me yeah. back. And at, at one point, you know, these, these kids were sort of crowded around me and asking me a ton of really beautiful, deep Jesus questions. And it kind of felt like that scene from The Chosen where all of the little kids are like gathered around Jesus and just, you know, pouring out their hearts and just mm -hmm. coming up with these super creative questions. I just, yeah, almost felt myself getting a little emotional there, just kind of feeling a sense of spiritual fatherhood and just refreshed by their child well, I wouldn't it wouldn't be childlike it would be you know their child their child yeah, yeah. their they're, child they're spirit children, and soul yeah. and it was just beautiful so that that gave me a lot of joy this oh, week oh cool yeah Aww. little munchkins you're being a spiritual father <laughs> look at me look yeah. at you living your priesthood that's it that's it oh what about you miss emma for me wow i would have to say it would be my my youth group kids. It's just been so beautiful to kind of see them grow and blossom in their faith. And by golly, they ask some really great questions, too. Nice. So you know that their minds are working. And so, you know, youth ministry was never something that I thought that I would be doing. But, you know, the Lord put me here and, and put me in this position. And so that's I mean, that's only one one part of my job. Right. But it's been beautiful. The graces from it have been really beautiful and making me realize like oh jesus i can't do this to no like i've equipped you to be able to do it and so yeah they just bring a lot of joy they give me a hard time sometimes mm. <laughs> but i love them and they're they're really great they they do make me laugh a lot too so it's hard keeping up with some of the just to be hip and cool like oh, i thought gosh. i was I hip gave and up cool on that a long time ago yeah mm. nope not worth it. I gave up on that, you know, when I was still in AOL dial-up or something like that, you know. Too soon. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyways, all right. Well, Father, would you like to close us out in prayer? Yeah, let's do it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we continue on this Lenten journey, we thank you for the graces, for all the work that's being done right now in our souls and in our communities, whether we can recognize it yet or not. We just commend into your hands the remainder of this time of Lent. That would be a time of enlightenment, of purification, of ultimately helping us to grow in relationship with you and with one another. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In, in the, the Father, Father, the Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in for another week. Know that we're praying for you, and please pray for us. Repent and believe in the gospel. From dust, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Something like that. Something like that. Okay. Until next week.